when I was a young monk, there was a piece of advice that I was given by a Thai monk who used to sit next to me as I was learning Thai. He was passing on this advice from a teacher he had. And that is, if you want to succeed as a bhikkhu, then you have to develop some karawa. Karawa means respect or reverence. Sama means right or correct, correct respect. Just as uh, we talk about samaditi, samasankapa, and so on in the Eightfold Path. And samakarawa, the quality you might say, comes within samaditi, right view. If one has right view, then from that one gets right respect. It's a quality the Buddha said prevents a bhikkhu from degeneration. And talked about six aspects to samakarawa. Respect, reverence from the Buddha for the Buddha. Buddha Karawata. Sometimes they say uh, Satu Karawata. Satu meaning master or teacher. Dhamma Karawata. Respect for the Dhamma. Sangha Karawata. Respect for Sangha. Sikha Karavata, Sikha as in Sikhapada, respect for the rules of training, for the Vinaya and all the rules of training, whether the five precepts, eight precepts, ten precepts, Patimoka precepts, or all the training rules in the Vinaya, outside of the Patimoka as well. Pamada Karavata, respect for heedfulness, earnestness in the practice. That quality that summarizes perhaps what we're practicing. The quality that the Buddha left as his last teaching. Our inheritance from the Buddha. Buddha said that all formations are impermanent, strive on with heedfulness or earnestness. The last aspect, Samakarawa, is um, Patisanta, 
Karavata means respect for hospitality, kindness, particularly as bhikkhus, kindness to other bhikkhus, hospitality, knowing how to receive bhikkhus, look after bhikkhus, attend to senior bhikkhus, look after sick bhikkhus, and support all bhikkhus. These six qualities, if we are sincere in preserving them in our hearts, then they prevent us from degeneration, falling back as bhikkhus. They help us to maintain our samana sanya, the perception of being a bhikkhu. Remembering that we are monks. Literally, we just remember that we are a monk with these qualities. Even a lay person who practices these qualities holds to them. And their mind could be the mind of a samana, of a monk. In Thai, they say the mind of prat. Prat means usually refers to a monk, one who is a venerable. But they talk about, even lay people have the mind of Prat. They have respect for Buddha Dhamma Sangha, for the training rules, for heedfulness, for kindness, hospitality towards others. can see these qualities nurture our practice, support our practice, keeps bringing the mind back to the right things or the supportive conditions for spiritual development. If you respect something or you revere something, it means you pay attention to it. You pay attention to Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, training rules, heedfulness, hospitality. One has an appreciation of the value of those things, those qualities, those aspects of our life. That sets the right attitude for practice. As we develop our practice, we become more aware of the basic teachings that we hear over and over again from the Buddha or from Ajahn Chah or other teachers. And the basic fact that all physical mental phenomena in the world are anicca dukkha anatta, impermanent, unsatisfactory, not self. And this is the basis for the development of wisdom through vipassana, insight into the, these three universal characteristics we hear about. 
applied to all physical phenomena, internal, external, near, far, high and low, all mental phenomena, internal, external, inferior, superior, coarse, refined, so on. This is the basis for reflecting on the world, the wisdom we're developing through our practice. And these three universal characteristics, they're sort of interchangeable. And we talk about, we're practicing for the end of suffering. It means we're coming to see the nature of suffering first. The first noble truth, dukkha, is to be known, to be understood. We say one who sees the impermanence of conditions, phenomena, sees the dukkha of phenomena. One who sees dukkha of phenomena sees the lack of self in phenomena. And that which is impermanent must be dukkha because it cannot bring lasting happiness, so we say unsatisfactory. This body is unsatisfactory because it doesn't last, cannot provide us with lasting happiness. Feelings, memories, mental states, thoughts, sense consciousness are impermanent and therefore unsatisfactory, cannot provide us with lasting happiness. What's subject to change, unsatisfactory, doesn't last, is beyond our control. So we can't own it, or control it, and make it any way we want. It's all these three characteristics, when reflected upon, are leading the mind to let go, put things down, rather than grasp at with delusion rather than trying to control. So say these five candors, when we look at them more closely, in the candor of sanya, memory, perception. Well, in one way we can use that to our advantage, understanding the impermanent nature of perception where well, we can change perceptions from ones that are deluded and unskillful, biased, to ones that are more skillful, more supportive in the practice. So say we change the perception of being a lay person and develop the samana sanya, the perception of being a bhikkhu an arms mendicant. As we chant, one who is dependent on the gifts of the requisites we use from others. We're changing our worldly ways into the ways of Dhamma and so on. So we're changing our perception 
So we can use an Icha Dukkha Anatta even to our advantage once we understand it more. Nothing is fixed. When we begin practice, we hear the word Patujana, an enlightened being or ordinary worldly being. In Thailand they sometimes translate it as one with or who is thick with defilement. Kilesa, the cause of, cause of this suffering that we experience as human beings. But we're developing the path to change that again. to cultivate the path, develop the path, to free the mind from kilesa, from the, the mental defilements which cause suffering, support suffering, support delusions. When we look at the cause of suffering, the second noble truth, And looking at what what brings up, <clears throat> what causes kilesa, ignorance, avicca. It's because of our lack of understanding of truth, and we get caught into kilesa, which leads us to cling to that which is impermanent, unsatisfactory, and not self. We cling, we crave, we cling and then get caught up into suffering because of it. How do we deal with that? Well, we develop the path, Marga, the fourth noble truth. All the Samas, from Samaditi through to Samasamati that are mutually supportive. They all help each other. Perhaps if we were to reduce it right down, what is the path? Well, in the path in practice, practical terms is particularly the development of sati, mindfulness, samma sati. all the aspects of the path are supporting the development of this quality, sati. Sati and sampachanya, clear comprehension. And to practice sila requires sati, mindfulness of our actions, mindfulness of speech, getting to know ourselves better, to see where kilesas are arising, how they arise what brings them up, what is their effect on the mind. The effect of greed, anger and delusion on our actions, on our speech. As we train in that, we see the role of sila, as we train in mindfulness and developing sila, it supports the development of meditation, bhavana, we see the practice of bhavana supports sila, 
bhavana, you're developing sati using meditation objects, the breath, butho, reflections, say, on the Buddha, on the Dhamma, the Sangha, on loving-kindness. We develop sati, and as sati improves, then we see ourselves clearer, and we see kilesa arising in the mind, and then expressed in our speech, our actions more clearly. We can see the results of kilesa, the suffering it causes us, suffering and trouble it causes other people. When you see that, then you gain more understanding. What we have to do is then abandon kilesa, change kilesa, abandon it. As we investigate more deeply, using mindfulness and improving our mindfulness, we're improving our ability to look at things more closely, so not just at our speech, our actions, but then to look more closely at the nature of this body and this mind itself. Once the mind settles down and mindfulness improves, no longer caught up in, say, more external concerns, like when, as lay people, we tend to get easily sidetracked, distracted from the path. But in the monastery, the bhikkhu life, we're more able to just direct the mind back over and over again, back to the Dhamma, back to the path. And we can use mindfulness to look more closely at the nature of this body and this mind. And this helps us to see where these kalesas, greed, anger, delusion, arise from. Ultimately, we can go back, looking back, go right to the source of kalesas, ignorance, delusion. And taking this body and mind as something that is permanent, lasting, a source of lasting happiness and a self that we can control and make do the way, make behave and do things in the way we want. Through increasing our, improving our mindfulness, we can start to see the delusion of that, look more closely. And this is why when we become ordained as bhikkhus or novices. We go through the ordination procedure and we take on the first meditation objects that Yupajaya gives us, in case alomanakadantatacho, parts of the body. This is a vehicle to train in mindfulness and then to train in wisdom to investigate more closely, to look more closely at truth, truth of the way things are for us as human beings. And look at hair, 
of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, skin, and right through the 32 parts of this body. When we practice with mindfulness and improve our mindfulness directed to the body, then we start to see these component parts in more detail. You know, like looking at something under a microscope, things you didn't see before you start to see. This is the nature of mindfulness, why it's so central to our practice, this ability to hold the mind, pay attention to what's important, what we're directing the mind to. In every aspect of our practice, whether it's our sila or the development of the meditation to overcome the hindrances or just directly looking at anicca dukkha anatta in this body and mind. You're developing mindfulness to hold one's mind and attention to focus, look more closely at what we have right here in this body and this mind. As you focus on the 32 parts of the body, what normally seems one fixed lump or mass one heap of physical material phenomena all lumped together we see it as a, as a human being myself or other people other beings but when practicing mindfulness directed to the body you're looking more closely and breaking up that delusion separating out these body parts under your investigation. As they say, literally you can take each part and just put it in a spot around you. So if you're sitting on the floor, then just put the hair in one spot to the left of you. And the nails, the teeth, the skin, take them off, put them in another spot, each in its own spot. The flesh, the sinews, the bone, the bone marrow, the liver, the kidneys, the lungs, the heart, the entrails and so on. The liquid parts in another part, maybe just pull them on the floor, the blood, the phlegm, the bile and so on. Just practice taking each part out, separating it out with mindfulness and directing your mind to that. And what have you got left? You look back at yourself and there's nothing there because all these parts are spread around you in their own little spot. Or if you practice mindfulness of the four elements, you put the solid ones together as the earth element, the liquid ones, the air and the gas, and then the heat and cooling of the body. Either way, you look back in the middle where, where you've taken all these things out and what's left is nothing, emptiness.
self. You keep looking with mindfulness, just mindfully observing these piles of different body parts. Well, what would happen to them? Over time, they just start to mold, go moldy, rotten, and gradually disintegrate and disappear. Anicca, dukkha, anatta. Whether you look at one part or all of the parts together, the ultimate fate of all those body parts is they just gradually disintegrate back into elements, back into the world. And all that's left is just the quality of mindfulness, knowing with wisdom the nature of those body parts is anicca, dukkha, anatta. Ultimately free of self, without self, unable to provide lasting happiness, subject to change, anicca. You do that to yourself a few times, you can bring them back in together again, like a jigsaw, put them back into their place again if you wish, bring in the bones and the flesh, the liquids of the body, the sinews and tie it all up, wrap it all up in the skin, put the hair back on, the nails, the teeth, you've got a person again. Then you take it apart again and put it back together again, a bit like kids when they're playing with Lego or something. But there's no, where's the self in that, where's the person in that? You're asking yourself questions and mindfully watching on, looking at this, investigating the truth. Once you've done it for yourself a few times, then try it with another person. Person sitting next to you or further away. Or if you're in the forest on your own, just try it with a bird that comes, sits on your porch or a wombat that walks past in the night. Any living being, creature, human or animal that you encounter, you can do the same practice. Gradually teaching the mind that these things are nietzsche, dukkha, anatta, not self. Anicca, impermanent, dukkha, unsatisfactory, not self. As we do this, we will encounter all kinds of moods and obstacles and feelings and experience during the course of our day, during the course of our meditation, which we can also take up for the same treatment. Again, establishing mindfulness, directing to feeling, you know, feeling pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, becoming mindful of feeling, seeing its nature to arise, passing away, According to conditions, we see things 
gives rise to feelings. We hear things, taste things, or it's just internal memories, thoughts based on things we've previously seen, heard, tasted, and so on. When you practice mindfulness constantly and directing the mind to be mindful of feeling, then you're seeing where's these feelings that we experience come from. A pleasant feeling. How you remember pleasant experiences, going places, tasting food, hearing music, spending time with people in different experiences, you know, the memories of those may bring up pleasant feeling. They grab the mind, the mind clings to them. And even though the memory fades and the pleasant feeling fades, you might see the same thing over and over again. Till maybe the mind finally tires of that and moves on to the next thing. That's all opportunity to see with mindfulness and each dukkha anatta of feeling. The memories associated with feeling tend to arise together. So sanya, our memories change as our insight changes and grows, as the samana sanya develops inside of us and then the insight develops. You can see memories change, things that perhaps in the past, memories that brought up pleasant feelings become more neutral or unimportant so they don't bring such a pleasant feeling anymore. Yeah, as you grow older and you cultivate the path, your perceptions change. Things that seem very interesting or fascinating maybe just become more ordinary not so important. Maybe new things arise that seem more important. So one can observe new memories, new perceptions arising. Maybe hearing Dhamma teachings or meeting Dhamma practitioners, teachers, maybe brings up new perceptions or having an experience of peace in meditation brings up a new memory that one gives more importance to than things that previously seemed important and so on. It can work in the other way as well, in the negative way. Things that used to make us angry when we think about them, contemplating with mindfulness, contemplating anicca dukkha anatta, maybe they no longer make us angry. The things people say, maybe in the... When we first practice Dhamma, we sometimes get angry with other people's views on what is right Dhamma, true Dhamma. We're just learning the Dhamma ourselves, so we're very keen to get it right. And then someone has a different view, maybe we disagree, so we get angry. Then later as you practice and you find out more for yourself through your own experience, maybe the views of people on Dhamma don't matter so much because you have your own inner understanding. Then so you can remember somebody in the past disagreeing with your view, but you don't get angry anymore. Just know, I just have a different view.
maybe it's right for them or maybe they've changed over time maybe they have a different view completely now as you keep directing mindfulness to feeling to perception you can see them these things change they rise, they pass away they change and with that the identification with them the strong identification with them the importance the sense of self we often attach to these things starts to fade as well and the mind becomes more calm and detached towards its own feelings perceptions thought formations and the more the one directs mindfulness to thought the more one sees thought as just thought good thoughts, bad thoughts obviously through the practice one starts to see the negative thinking the what we call unwholesome thinking akusala thought over time one becomes more tired of that seeing it as a hindrance to the peace and happiness of the mind so one wants to abandon that what one what what helps abandon is the development of insight into impermanence unsatisfactoriness not self the more you can see thought formations are just thought formations you don't identify them with with them so strongly it's easier to let them go put them down quite naturally the more one directs mindfulness to the three characteristics the more one, the mind inclines towards stillness and peace so even if very negative mind states arise and rather than reacting with them say getting upset because one has a negative, negative mind state one just understands it's arising through its own karmic conditioning and one allows it just to pass away rather than feeling guilty about it or getting upset about it or feeling down about it one knows it's just its own karmic energy these things take time to, to change but as one keeps bringing up the reflection of an dukkha anatta then perceptions change so one doesn't identify with negative thoughts so strongly as being me, mine, myself and on it goes one becomes more wiser this way whereas before one's perception was more of you know if you identify with your thoughts and your feelings your emotions then it's more you're identifying them with them as being permanent as a self permanent self but with the Nietzsche Dukkha Anatta you're changing that perception is not identifying with them so strongly again the mind is coming to this place of emptiness stillness within the middle of its own experience just with mindfulness quality of knowing 
can even be quite fun, enjoyable, once you get in the habit of contemplating your own mental experience this way. It becomes quite fun just to look at things in a more detached way without feeling one has to grasp at them. So even old ways of thinking, different prejudice or bias one has, you really like something or you really hate something, now you can maybe just look at it as, oh, there's that, that kind of, that way of thinking, that perception. I used to grasp at that, but now I can just see it as an Ichya Dukkha Anatta and allow it to go on its way. You can even have a sense of humor about it, how things change. You know, we fool ourselves often by taking things so seriously and then after a while, maybe after a year or two, we look back and realize hmm, it wasn't really that important after all. If you keep practicing mindfulness, you can even be aware of some of these changes in a very short space of time, maybe in just a few moments. I remember one time I was on retreat in the forest. One evening I was just brushing my teeth just at dusk, so the tide, the light was changing to dark very quickly the way it does in Thailand. It's not a long dusk period like it is here. Just in a few minutes you go from light to dark. I was brushing my teeth, camping in the forest. I hadn't lit a candle. So I started brushing my teeth. It was light enough to see what I was doing, but by the time I was finishing brushing my teeth, it was already almost too dark to do anything without a candle or a torch. But I hadn't lit the candle. Just as I was about to put my toothbrush down, there was a sound of footsteps coming down the mountainside towards me. And it being the dry season, you hear footsteps very clearly because it's a crackling sound on the leaves. But I hadn't picked a torch up. It was dark, so I could only hear the sound, but it was very, very clear. So the first perception that arose was, oh, there's somebody walking towards me because I was staying in the forest on my own way out, away from other people. It's like, who could that be? Because this was near the Burmese border and in, at that time there was some fighting on the Burmese side between the army and ethnic tribesmen. I thought, hmm, perhaps it's somebody fleeing the fighting because they did sometimes come through wasn't particularly scared because they never usually were threatening but just thinking mm, who could this be walking through the forest in the dark so I just stood there because partly because it was dark I didn't couldn't see what to do or where to go or even pick my torch up yet I just stood there listening and as the footsteps came nearer then the perception changed completely. I thought, this is not a person, this is an animal. And the footsteps kept coming closer, thinking what kind of animal. 
trying to gauge from the steps. Must be a four-legged animal. Could be a deer, but it's not really galloping. Could be a bear, but it doesn't sound quite so clumsy. So maybe it's a tiger. Quite nimble steps. But still just different perceptions going through the mind. Not really aware of what it was. But as soon as the thought tiger comes, then you get an emotional reaction. So you get tension, even some fear to the point where maybe your hair start to stand on end or tiger coming straight for me but at the same time practicing mindfulness you just notice hmm, as soon as you have the word tiger and the perception tiger then the hair stand on end and you can see this sort of fear energy spreading out from the heart body becomes a bit more tense. And then you can see with fear you get the feeling of being threatened. If it's a tiger coming for me, what's he going to do? Is this, is this it? Is this tiger some kind of karmic enemy coming to attack me? Or not? So you have doubt, unknowing, uncertainty a whole range of perceptions and thought formations and emotional reactions coming up in a very short space of time. You're also noticing that. Oh, this is the way the mind is, the conditioning process of the mind. This is kilesa, isn't it? Through ignorance, delusion, kilesa arises. You have sound and you have perception arising, meaning the label you give to that sound and then you get the thought formations and the emotion, the feeling. The more you think about that perception, the more the emotional state becomes stronger. So it affects you physically. Body becomes tense. Hair stand on end. And so on. But then as those steps became closer, it jumped straight back to being, oh, it's just a person just the timing, the pace of these, each step started to sound more like a two, two-legged being, not a four-legged being. Must be a person. I was right, first off, it must be one of those tri eth ethnic tribesmen, the Karen tribesmen coming through the forest. So instantly the fear disappears. Mind goes calm again satisfied there's no threat again with mindfulness you're watching mm. change the name from tiger to man still haven't seen anything just based on the interpretation of the sound of the steps but it's just perception playing around chopping around from that the emotional state the thought changes from fear to calm Steadiness, nothing, just ordinary, back to ordinary. And then it got right close, and it was back again, oh, tiger. All of this within the space of maybe two minutes at the most, one minute, two minutes. Footsteps 
coming down a mountainside change from person to tiger to person to tiger. And at each moment the sanya the changes, the thought formations change, the feeling changes, the way the body is changes. Tension, relaxation, happiness, fear, calm, agitation. All of it is food for mindfulness. It's just like a sort of a merry dance going on by itself, whereas there's this quality of mindfulness, just looking, watching. Oh, amazing, this mind, what it does, what it throws up. Still hasn't seen anything. It's just making it all up out of sound. But this is kilesa at work. This is delusion. This is greed based on the greed, your attachment to your own body and the fear or the lack of fear when you feel it's not a threat, then you feel good and happy, oh, I can hang on to this body a bit longer, I won't die tonight. And aversion, fear is a kind of aversion. You're not wanting, not wanting it to be a tiger coming straight for you, not wanting to be threatened. So this is fear and aversion or delighting in for the world, for this body, this mind, this being. All of this one can contemplate in a short period of time. Establish mindfulness. And then just allow these different reactions to pass away, come back to just knowing what's going on. So I, before picking my torch up, I just did that, just established mindfulness. I don't know what it is, but I'm not going to get involved with any of these reactions. Just watch them come and go and let them fade by themselves, go back to equanimity and detachment. Then pick the torch up, shone the torch in her little slitty eyes of a tiger. But because I'd calm the mind and just practice mindfulness, Fear didn't come up again at that point. But they're still not knowing, you don't know what's going to happen next. It was more just the interest in seeing the mind and how it's affected by Kalesa was actually more powerful than the concern about the animal and what it was up to. Once it was there, it just stood watching me for a while as I shone my torch at it. Then the thought came, well, it's probably this coming through on its own regular beat, goes through this part of the forest and now I'm here in its way. Probably isn't that bothered by me, it's just checking me out, the way animals tend to do. And then it circled around and checked me out from another side and then it went on. You can see in the space of one or two minutes, perceptions can chop and change very easily, very quickly, and then they they affect you, don't they? They affect your thinking. They affect your mental states, maybe affect what you're going to do based on these perceptions arising. Samana Sanya if it's established, then you establish your awareness of your precepts. So as a monk, you're not going to tussle with it. 
bring it to the ground, fight it, practice uh, calmness, harmlessness, loving kindness. And then the deeper reflection of just Anicca Dukkha Anatta, all beings, this being, this person is Anicca Dukkha Anatta, that being is Anicca Dukkha Anatta, things are just what they are. Sometimes when we're practicing you can actually find it quite fun, even unpleasant mental states arising can be quite interesting. There's a certain enjoyment when the mind is established with mindfulness, one can just look at them for what they are without getting too involved with them. Obviously one is still experiencing them. There's also a sense of calm knowing that, oh, that's just that mental state arising for that reason based on the this situation, it's arising like this, but I'm not going to follow it or indulge in it. I'll just let it go on its way and that will be the end of it. So the mind goes to cessation, or letting go, cessation, extinction, extinction of that mind state. You can see in your daily practice, you can practice that over and over again in different states of delighting in different states of aversion arising and passing away in different situations all of it can be food for dhamma food for investigation with mindfulness you can see when mindfulness slips then we tend to just believe our perceptions and this feeds the mental formations so you know if it's very common one we're in the monastery we're learning all the rules and we have respect for the rules but we also don't see the kilesis coming up so we're learning the rules and then we try very hard to learn the rules for ourselves and then we look around and say well someone else is not keeping the rules not as strictly as ourselves so we have irritation to deal with a very common problem in monasteries, the complaining mind, the fault-finding mind, sometimes directed to ourselves, sometimes to others. Again, you can watch with when you have mindfulness come up, you can actually turn around and look at, become more aware of what you're doing, what's happening in your mind. You see, maybe it's the attachment to the rule and the way it should be practiced and then you look at, around and say well it's not been practiced according to the way it should be that, your perception of the way it should be that attachment leads to discontent, dissatisfaction and feeds all the mental formations the negative formations and it can seem correct, right, true so it feeds itself internally even though we might be angry, even though we might be aware that we're angry, it can seem right. So it's like we should be angry, should be un unhappy about this because it's correct. Because maybe somebody is breaking a rule or mindful, not mindful of a rule. 
but we're looking more deeper, we're looking at the way kilesa comes up, even can have very good reasons, comes up, takes over the mind, and it's feeding a state of discontent, agitation, aversion. Then we have to be skilled with how to practice with that. If mindfulness is strong enough, we might be able to just see the mood itself, see how it's arisen, understand why it's coming, I'm attaching to this rule, judging other people, maybe getting too conceited or something. Once we see with mindfulness what we're doing, then maybe that's enough, we just let it go there. But other times that's not enough, we have to keep going back to something deeper. That's not enough, we have to find some deeper practice of metta. More acceptance of the way other people are. Understanding if they're not keeping a rule, maybe they've lost their mindfulness, just like we must have lost our mindfulness if we're caught into aversion, then they must have lost their mindfulness if they broke a rule. It's quite normal in a monastery, sometimes we lose our mindfulness. Just as we lose mindfulness, other people lose mindfulness. You can see your own losses of mindfulness, then you can appreciate other people's losses of mindfulness. Then you're, again, you're taking away the sense of self and self-importance in that, and you're just knowing, well, this is what it's like. We lose mindfulness sometimes. Sometimes we act out of greed or av aversion and it's like this. It's like this for me. Other people probably it's just the same. So it's no longer a question of me, them, us, them, me, you, right and wrong. It's just a, this is just the way Kalesa is functioning. Kalesa, when it comes up, takes away your mindfulness means the mind gets overcome by greed, anger, delusion, or any of its offshoots. But this is just a function of nature. Kalesa is like this. So you don't have to get angry with anybody, but just know, oh, it's like this. When I lose my mindfulness, this can happen. When somebody else loses their mindfulness, that, that can happen. That's the way it is. So the fuel, the sense of self and the fuel in that just taken away. You just see it's part of nature. This is compassion, isn't it? Empathy. Instead of getting angry with somebody, we just understand them better. Doesn't mean to say we approve of that, mm -hmm. but we understand what might have happened in that case when somebody maybe didn't keep a rule, didn't do the right thing. As you keep practicing mindfulness little by little, this awareness keeps improving the ability to look back at ourselves, what we're saying, what we're doing, what we're thinking, 
the ability to understand others, how they function, what makes them tick, improves. The final result is that one is no longer identifying so closely with one's thoughts and moods and judgments and the feelings of this body, the experience of this body and mind. One seeing one the more as what they are, phenomena, physical phenomena, mental phenomena, anicca, dukkha, anatta. Little by little that awareness growing, becoming more sustained is what liberates the mind from suffering, brings the mind more inner peace, more steadiness. You can see, maybe you can look back and say, well, a few years of practicing mindfulness like this, now I can look and see it really has changed something. You know, perceptions can change for the better. One's ways of thinking change for the better. One's speech can change for the better. One's actions change for the better. So I'll leave you with these reflections tonight. <laughs>